Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom Estate. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Hello, this is Leslie Giss, and you're listening to The Gist of Freedom. Tonight, we will have a discussion, a poet, a world-renowned poet, Mrs. Sandra Steele-Barnes. She's on the line. She has a extensive bio, one of uh, that includes an award with Ebony Magazine and National Literary Award for short stories and short fiction um, from um, her story called Burnt Bacon. She's also a musician. She, um, she sings, and mm-hmm. she is a still a member of the Underground Railroad First Family, um, William Steele's family. So without further ado, I'd like to have Miss Sandra Barnes tell you a little bit about who she is. Good evening. Good evening. What a pleasure to be with you again, Sister Leslie. This is this is exciting. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I am a still, I'm most proud of that. I'm most proud that my ancestors settled the historic town of Lawnside so many years ago. Uh, and so proud that Lawnside is my home today. Mm-hmm. I had to move back after I lost my mother because mm-hmm. no place felt like home without mm-hmm. her. But here I found joy because I walk down the street and say, oh, you're Betty's daughter or you're Gerald's daughter. And so I love it here. I, I love I love it because I know I'm with family here. Mm-hmm. And isn't Lawnside one of the oldest incorporated black towns in the United States, founded by yes, African Americans? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, okay. Here, uh, back in the heyday, the the historic history of this town has been maintained. And actually, um, there's a very special event coming up on September 11th. The Benson Multicultural Museum is celebrating another major uh, event. They're doing a bunch of fundraisers. The, the museum here that has the history of African Americans in this area, but specifically throughout the world, is is going through some major changes. They, they were damaged because of the storm Hurricane Sandy, and so they are working hard to rebuild this museum. 
in honor of Reverend Benson, the founder and originator who we we lost in 2014. Okay. All right. Now let's talk about 9-11, which this show is we want to commemorate 9-11 from a historically black perspective. Uh, and I, I didn't think of anyone better than you um, to put in this proper perspective. Uh, tell us your connection to this tragedy. Well, my my first connection is, is through my son-in-law, Enzo Rivers, who was on the 102nd floor of the second tower on that dreadful day. And um, it was the strangest day. There were the strangest days leading up to that because I, I, I was getting so tense and there, there was... I, something kept telling me, pray for your children, pray for their jobs, pray. And I'm doing this. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. I had two daughters, one daughter who lived here in New Jersey, but who worked uh, at Philadelphia International Airport. So I'm thinking it's her. I'm praying for her every day. And I had a my youngest daughter lived in Maryland uh, with my son-in-law, but my son-in-law had just gotten a promotion, and so he was commuting back and forth from Maryland to the World Trade Center. Every morning, they would go to work and get on the phone and and start their day, husband and wife, conversating on the phone. And this morning, they'd go in before 9 o'clock, and he's on the phone and talking to my daughter, and he sees this plane come flying up, and it sat there for a second, like if you were going to land in a plane, and it kind of revved up and then just slammed into the building. No accident at all. He knew that immediately. They had both, they had been in the Air Force. That's where they met. And uh, he told her, go home because I'm coming home. Some kind of way, I am leaving here today, and I will not be back here. Um, he told his boss, who, who was a lady that he dearly admired. Her name was uh, Pamela Gast. She had hired him and trained him and promoted him to come to to the World Trade Center. And uh, he told her, we got to get out of here now. We're in danger. Pamela said to him, um, well, you know, there's so much going on now. This is such a dreadful accident, a tragedy. We're going to wait till things calm down and then we'll let people go. But if you want to go, go right ahead and leave. And he insisted, he begged her to get everybody out, but she wouldn't. The day before, my son-in-law, who had been working in this building for a couple of months now, saw a door open that he'd never, he never saw this door before. And so he asked one of the building attendants, where does that door go? And he said, that's the steps 
that go all the way down to the ground. We have that steps, you know, in case of a fire or anything, you got to take the steps and not the elevator. Right. Huh. Well, so my son-in-law gets into this stairwell, which is packed, by the way. There are hundreds of people trying to make it down these steps. And I can't remember exactly what floor he had made it down to in that 10 or 15-minute window. I I think it's something like, like 87th floor, I think. Okay. And the second plane hit two floors above. Like the 89th floor. Oh. Yes. Um, he lost 200 co-workers that day. Wow. And being the good, decent man that he was, he had survivor's guilt. He couldn't understand for the life of him why he lived and so many people had to die. Uh, and and he was he was totally totally depressed for so many years. He withdrew within himself. God would have it. My daughter became pregnant almost immediately after he came home, and uh, so it was knowing that he was going to be a father and accepting within his heart that God chose him to be the father of this precious little girl, Mia, who is 12 now. Um, And uh, that's how he recovered. You know, he's okay now. He's the best dad in the world, in the absolute world. Mm-hmm. Um, I said I, I I just couldn't stop thinking about this day, and I was being told to pray, and I'm praying, I'm praying. And mm-hmm. that particular morning, I had walked out into the living room with my Bible. I am on my knees. I am praying. I said, "Amen," and the phone rang. And I answered the phone, and it and it was my daughter, and she is having hissy foot. She couldn't even she couldn't even breathe. She said, "Oh, a plane went into the World Trade Center. My in the World Trade Center, Mommy. What am I going to do?" And and she, I don't know how. I just said, "Oh no, Zoe's okay." He's on his way home. And then I had to say, what did you say, Sandra? But I said it with such conviction. conviction. Right, right. I know what you're talking about. And she said, Mommy, how do you know that? I said, baby, I don't know how I know, but I know it. I know it. it, it, My God's honest hand to God, I know he's okay and he's coming home. So, now she worked in D.C. near the Pentagon. So now, 
as I'm talking to her, I'm flipping on the television to to CNN, and now this stuff is, is coming out because the second plane is hit. There's other stuff going on all over the country. So I'm saying, oh, my God, baby, go home. We are really under attack. So she goes home, and there's no phone service in, in the D.C. area. She can't make a call out. But her girlfriend called her from California, and she was able to dial me, and Rennell could be on the phone with us. So we were having a three-way then. And she was saying, oh, Mommy, I wore a shirt to work today. I said, honey, it's okay. He's coming home. I don't know how I'm telling this child this, but I'm feeling so good giving her this message because it was like, I'm, I don't know how I know, but I'm telling her. So... Finally, her cell phone rang while we were on the house phone on this three-way call. And she said, I got to get it. I got to get it. Hold on. I got to answer this call. And she answered the call. And although it was not him, it was a message from him that Mm -hmm. I'm okay and I'm coming home. It might take me a couple of days, but I'm coming home. And it did take him a couple of days. He walked 15 miles across the, the Brooklyn Bridge, been mm-hmm. to his grandmother's house, and getting out of New York was, was pandemonium, but he, he did get home. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Now, this, your story doesn't end there. Um, no, it doesn't. No, right. let me tell you mm-hmm. what happened to me on April 11th. 2002, okay, I I know the date. I I had a doctor tell me that I had uh, something going on on my left breast and I had to see the specialist in this town I never heard of, had never been to before. And I'm saying to myself, well, I'm not receiving that. But I'm going to go, because I don't know why God is sending me here. But I'm not receiving anything being wrong with my body. So I go, and in the doctor's office there are all of these tributes to September 11th. And I look up, and I say, oh, God, yes, yes, you know. And so then the nurse says something to me. She said, oh, it's just such a, such a tragedy, you know. And I said, I said, yes. I said, my son-in-law was was on the 102nd floor, the second tower. She said, yeah, my sister, too. That's so sad, you know. I said, oh, he, he's alive. He's alive. And, and uh, they just found out they're having a baby, you know. And she said, what what company did he work for? And it was Aon Insurance, so I told her. You know, she said, oh, my God. You know, um, she said, my, my sister was the director, and, and she died. And I was like, 
oh, my God. She said, and, and let me tell you what she did that day, though. You know, after the first plane hit, she called and left a message for her husband and said, oh, don't worry about me. It's okay. And then concerned about our parents, she made a call to California and woke our mother and father up to tell them that she was okay and they, they were going to see all this on the news, but but not to worry. She was on the phone with her mother and father telling them about this wonderful young man who just was screaming at her to get out of the building. And that's that's when she died. But she told them about my son-in-law and how much she respected this young man. So, God being the most wonderful creator and the author and finisher of all things, not only was there nothing wrong with my left breast to my son-in-law and stand on my tippy toes and look him right in his eye and tell him that he did everything he was supposed to do, everything God laid on his heart to do, he was able to do. But there, in this doctor's office, at that moment, Leslie, Mm -hmm. here we are, two total strangers, standing there holding each other, one black, one white, standing there holding each other, crying for this moment, for this moment, so that I can tell them how much my son-in-law admired Pamela, and they can Mm -hmm. tell me that her last words were how much she appreciated and honored him. It don't get no better than that. There's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with my breasts, but I had to go. Do you you understand? I had to go to West Hampton. I haven't been back there since. I don't know anything about it, but oh, my God. Jesus, I, yes, you gave I, both families closure. You helped heal your yeah. son-in-law, and you helped heal yeah. Pamela's family. And mm-hmm. um, it's awesome to for God to use you as a vessel to communicate. And you know, like you said, you didn't want to go. You knew you no, weren't receiving the, right. We had been, we had our our full that that particular, you know, that, that six-month period, we, you know, I don't want to hear nothing Nothing else is wrong, but God is so good. It is such an awesome, awesome gift. And yes. then the then the poetry that poured out of me, right? So, oh. so first, first he tells me, I want a sacred suite of music and poetry dedicated to the victims and survivors of September 11th. Mm-hmm. And I want you to make this happen. I'm like, oh, oh, oh okay. Oh, all right. 
Okay. I have a dear friend that I've known. I met her. She's a, a, a fabulous composer, jazz musician, a Grammy nominated number of times, but just as regular as you and me. <laughs> oh, I called her up and I said, Jerry Allen, okay, this is a dream I had last night, and the dream included you. God wants a sacred concert, jazz, African American musicians making a tribute to the victims and survivors of September 11th, and you're going to write the music. She said, ah, sound great. Mm-hmm. You can't be serious. I said, oh, yes, I am. And she thought about it for a minute, and then she said, if I'm writing the music, you're writing the lyrics and the poetry, and you will be in the midst of it all. I said, okay, let's do this. So I, I wrote a, a grant to meet the composer who gave us the money so she could stop teaching, stop doing everything she could to compose his music. I I only had one other request that I said. I said, it, it must begin with a beautifully composed jazz version of the Lord's Prayer. Mm. <laughs> it was so beautiful. The whole thing, there were, there were like uh, 40 musicians, eight Grammy winners, all came together on one stage to make this happen. Because when mm-hmm. Jerry Allen calls you, you go. Now, can also, I get a copy? Can I get a uh, can I get that CD or the song so I can I can edit the show and play it? You think that's possible? I, will, I well, you know what I can what I can get you is uh, uh, like a DVD. Okay. All okay, right. I, I know how to. I can extract the audio from there. But you're you're related oh. to William Grant still, so this is in your genes. This, oh. this. <laughs> yeah, and you said See, composure, I, right? Yeah, I I I don't know how to put all the dots together. I just know that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> right. Thank, thank God. Uh, and because of the wonderful people that God first predestined mm-hmm. to to create the the lineage and, and it doesn't stop with me. It doesn't stop with me. My my grandchildren I, I, Lord, they are so amazing. They're such amazing right. tell, tell, tell us about your grandson. And then we're going to move on to hear some of your poetry because you have a lot of fans 
and I know they're dying to hear it. So tell us about your grandson in the James Brown movie. Okay, well, grandbaby man number one, okay? I have two grandbaby men that are men mm-hmm. and three little queens, but grandbaby <laughs> man number one, <laughs> he uh, six months ago picked up the saxophone. But before that, he was one of the most amazing visual artists that I have ever seen in my life. It, it used to scare me. He actually won um, the Saison and Beyond competition at the Philadelphia Museum of Art when he was 16 years old. He he just turned 23. Okay. Um, but he got a full scholarship what they call the Salutatorium Award to attend Jackson State University in Jackson, Mississippi, a historically black. And Mm -hmm. just just this June, he graduated magnum cum laude. And naturally, the whole family goes to Mississippi for this wonderful occasion. And we we stayed like almost 10 days. So we love Mississippi. Mississippi now, because Mississippi loves our grandson. Um, and then Reg- Reggie has, uh, his name is Reggie Lewis. He has a full scholarship to complete his master's at Manitoba University in in Canada, in Ottawa, Canada. And he's leaving for that on uh, September 1. But while he was in school, he got a phone call to tell him that they wanted him to be in the movie Get On Up, of the life story of James Brown. And he called me up. He said, Mama, guess what? <laughs> I said, wow, baby, how did you get that gig? He said, I have no idea. <laughs> he has no idea. But he plays uh the role, I, oh, God, I can't call his name, but he has a name. He's got a role. He plays Little Richard's band leader. So he's playing his saxophone and 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 rocking. They made him grow his hair long and processed it. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> oh, my God. And he came home. He would come home every summer and be playing jazz all over the place, and he was playing here in um, Lawnside last mm-hmm. August because it came out on, like, August 1. And he played it. There's a new uh, restaurant here, soul food restaurant. It's called Rochester's. And uh, so he plays there on Friday night. Oh, so he gets okay. done about 10 or 10.30, and we all say, we're going straight to the movies to see this, because it was just being released that day. And, but when, but when the lights came on, everybody was in there, all his classmates, all his teachers, everybody was there to see it. (laughs) But it was, it was, it was wonderful. Now, describe the scene, describe the scene, and I love the movie. I I, I thought it was a spiritual film. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Well, Little Richard is singing. What's he singing? Uh, well, I, 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 I you don't I have to remember. 
But he's singing. Yeah. Go ahead. He's singing, and Reggie is standing behind him, playing, just blowing. But then Reggie's got the solo, and the camera is just on him, and he's playing and blowing, and it is so cool. It is not, it's not a major part of the scene, but it is a major. It's not a major part of the movie, but it was. It was so cool. It was so yes. cool. Yes, I remember. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So now let's go into your poetry. Um, you we talked earlier this week, and you when we talk, your poetry just comes out during the conversation, oh, and it, and it just flows. Um, I know you have something you want to do. Is there anything in your heart that you want to recite before you? Mm-hmm. Oh yes, that that there there were a number of poems that I wrote. Actually, I even did a a, a musical version, uh, September Will Never Be the Same, on my CD. But uh, the the poem that, that touches me the most mm-hmm. is called On This Day. Okay. Let's hear it. Okay. A calm breeze carries the promise. Wise words once whispered to the wind. Though weeping may endure forever, it seems someday even this heartache will end. For that day, that September 11th, once filled with a horror unknown, must now become a day of triumph, a day to honor our precious own. And while our souls still seek answers as to how this horror came to be, we must somehow still stand strong. We need faith and strength to live free. On this day, we pay homage to loved ones so savagely snatched away while saluting those many brave souls who stood so tall that awful day. On this day, we treasure our survivors who by God's grace escaped harm's way while comforting grieving families and friends whose lives changed forever that dreadful day. On this day, we cherish freedom, supporting America's troops for the price they pay, preparing our children for a brighter future, knowing someday they'll find a better way. On this day, Americans everywhere ought to stop for a moment to pray trusting in God that we never again see another day like that ill-fated day. Remember that this day, this September 11th, a day once filled with a horror unknown, must now become a day of triumph, a day to forever honor our precious own. So awesome! That's that's an excellent poem, and it's perfect for this um, commemoration. 
And how long did it take for you to write it? Oh, you know, Leslie, sometimes my poems write me. Mm-hmm. You know, will wake me up at 4 o'clock in the morning and just pour out. There, there's been a number of them that that happens, 4 o'clock, and I'm resisting, but I'll get up and I'll, in the dark, mm-hmm. grab a journal and a pen, lay on the floor, don't even know if I'm hitting the book, but just mm-hmm. write what comes from me. Mm. And then I'll leave it just laying there and go back to bed. <laughs> and when I get up in the morning, I'm going to like, you know, that's a mess on that. You probably won't be able to read it. It's going to be crazy. Why did you do it that way? <laughs> but I get up and then I finally go over and pick up this journal and I look at me and, and Leslie, it's like I was sitting at a desk with all the lights on, just practicing my penmanship because it was perfect. I don't know. I don't know what to say, except hallelujah every time mm-hmm. that happens. That's yes. all I can say. I understand the feeling. I know exactly when you have to get up and you have to write. And I feel so sorry yeah. for my husband because I I force him to listen to <laughs> what I've written. <laughs> I have to have him critique it. And he's like, oh, no, and here we go again. But um, let's talk about the poem you recited in our last telephone conversation when we when we decided we should have this show. Because when we were talking, this show was not part of our conversation. It just no, came out. no. And you recited a poem, and then I was like, oh, we have to have you on. You got to come back. <laughs> well, I, I'm very blessed because uh, the Philadelphia Jazz Project is doing this major recording uh, in tribute to Philadelphia artist Sun Ra. You mm-hmm. heard of the Sun Ra Orchestra? Uh, if you haven't, I, I, I people have. Sun-ra. No, I haven't. I apologize. I'm learning, though. I'm, oh, okay. I'm kind of a little cultured. I'm, oh, no, no. I just want to tell you about Sun Ra because mm-hmm. not everybody knows him. I, he... Um, he loved his black people so much that it was his thought that America was not safe for us, that the planet Earth was not safe for us. So he came up with a, a suite of music called Space is the Place. And he wanted to take us all up in a rocket ship and place us safely on another planet where there was no racism, where there was no bigotry, where where no lynchings, where none of this evil stuff was going on. And his music was unusual. Mm-hmm. To the point when I first heard it, I said, oh, that's not real music. They're making that up as they go along. Well, uh, but I happened to be at the Philadelphia Clust Club one day and just seen one amazing artist. And the next group was Sun Ra. And they mm-hmm. get on the stage in these awesome costumes. I mean, like like space attire. Psychedelic. Psychedelic. Yes. Yeah. And they had sheet music, every last one of them. And I was, I was like, what? Sheet music? 
no. So I had to sit down, Leslie, and I listened. Oh, my God, it was so awful. I mean, the music was so awesome. It wasn't the typical rhythmic uh, type of jazz that I love, but it was still excellent music. So when I get a call about this project and I was offered to write an original poem on two different, you know, I had my choice of of music, but I I chose the music forbidden, which had to do with um, the original tree of good and evil, Mm. you know. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, Lord, you know, send it to me (laughs) because I know it's coming. Uh, so I wrote a piece called Forbidden Two. Okay. And I and it's it's fairly new and I, I don't have it all sitting right in front of me, but when I wrote it, so much of it stuck with me that that I I can spit this poem because that's what the young folks call it. <laughs> you, are, you are charged, drop your latest work. Okay. So, this is forbidden too. The original good is now tarnished by bigotry and greed. So a bigger tree of good and evil is what sunrise people need. A tremendous tree that walks the community with huge brown eyes on each branch to quickly see and then a hunger to consume man's inhumanity. For bigots are the biggest idiots in the land, for they have no principles on which to stand. They feel their power lies within their colorless skin. Everyone knows that black, brown, and tan is what's in, and loving the skin that we're in surely ain't no sin. You see, bigots are the biggest idiots in the land, for they have no principle on which to stand. They want to leave us with nothing, and you know that's true. But when we take our nothing and make it hip and new, then the bigots want to take that nothing back too. And it shall be forbidden to mistreat God's beautiful brown people. It is forbidden to kill our children. All of the things that is going on in this country right now shall be forbidden with this new tremendous tree of good and evil. <laughs> I, I, am, I am having such a ball with that. And I, I went into the studio to record it and mm-hmm. got it on one take. And they're looking at me. They're saying, like, what? What? <laughs> it was, I, but I did. I, I know it, it was inspired. I am so honored to be a part of this four-CD recording. And and 
the last CD will be out, the one that I'm featured on, will be out in December of this year. So that's exciting with me. There are a number of wonderful poets, of magnificent jazz musicians. It's just a a tremendous undertaking to do something like this, and I know this is just the beginning. I can't wait till they start on Coltrane. (laughs) You what? They're going to start what? Coltrane. I I, I believe Coltrane should be the next artist as part of the Philadelphia uh, Jazz Project. John Coltrane. Oh, okay, okay. I heard yes. the word soul train, but poetry train. I thought oh, you had to play oh. on words saying a pole, <laughs> pole train, something to do with poetry. But that's awesome. Oh. I, I love that piece. I'm so glad you shared it with us. Um, before you go, let's talk a little bit about the history. If you know, um, you know, we know the Wall, the Wall Street area is also the area where the African burial ground um yes. Uh, lays and is built right on it. Um, what can you tell us about the connection between the African burial ground, the slave trade, the auction block? Everything happened in that same area. And it, it does. Go ahead. It, it just seemed to be a tremendous effort on behalf of the evildoers to just erase our history from from the planet. I mean. Who would, uh, I mean, about this community that thrived, that lived and thrived, and to just take bulldozers to it, much like in Atlantic City, New Jersey, or other places all over the the country, Um, and knowing that this is sacred ground, and mm-hmm. there are, are bodies there. And just to like, oh, we don't care. We just want to take it and make it what we want it to be. Nobody will ever know. That's, that's wrong, because history mm-hmm. will tell. That, that very much in, in the city of Philadelphia with the president's house, mm-hmm. you know, the Liberty Bell, it's, it's just, there's just so many areas. The one thing... Mm-hmm. that I feel is so important to share every opportunity I get is if we as a people were stolen for the sole purpose of building this country, mm-hmm. then all of the inventions, all of the ideas, all of the creativity, it came from us. Whether or not it was preparing food or building furniture, building buildings, being the architects of these buildings, these major cities all over the United States of America, uh, the inventions to make life better for the workers, even to create light, even the music, the art, all of it, it comes from us, Leslie. Right. 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 And and to try and hide that, 
to bury that or to try and take credit for things that you know you're not even possible of doing is, like I said, I I, I, I just question, <laughs> I question so much. The more I live, the more I see and I understand the true mm-hmm. contributions country came from African Americans and American Indians. Right. right. Now, uh, when, while we close the show, is there a poem that you want to recite that's dedicated to our ancestors or our Native Americans? And you have you have a, um, American Native American in your blood. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we, deeply we you can come, see it. Go ahead. We come from the Lenape Indians. Um, along with the African slaves, and uh, you know, it, it's it's just uh, it's very it's clear in Doctor. Dr. James Steele's picture. The listeners, if you want to go Google Dr. James Steele or Dr. The Piney Woods, you can see who we're talking about. His picture is in the book that he he wrote many, many yes. moons ago in the 1800s. He wrote a book, his baby brother, William Steele, his oldest surviving brother at the time, Peter Steele. So... The people we're talking about, you can Google them. They all wrote books similar to what uh, Sandra Steele Barnes has done, and several of her cousins have written books. Um, they are definitely yes. keeping the tradition alive. Um, and of course, Google uh, Grant William William Grant Steele, the composer. But yes, let's let's have you end the show with a poem. Okay. Okay. This uh, is a very rhythmic poem. This is one of those poems that woke me up at 4 o'clock in the morning and demanded its place. But this is a tribute to our ancestors. While the rhythmic drums of the Congo were still fresh in his captive mind, His precious freedom and African breezes left so very far behind. A black man caught hold of the moment and hid it away in his heart, knowing that someday in years to come, life would offer his seed a new start. Often wild tears would try to fall, but he would catch them in his hand and then rub them deep inside his soul, a wise and patient man. He secretly wrote his sorrow in a silent song that he'd never get to sing, and all the joy he never felt was somewhere deep inside of him. Yes, he wrote his sorrow in a silent song that he'd never get to play, and all the joy he never felt is somewhere deep inside us today. Here in this strange new land where his captors celebrated pain, he hid his rage behind a smile and a docile servant he became. 
Lord, how he growl and scrape, laughing, grinning, chucking, jive, doing everything he had to do to keep the next generation alive. And he'd even sing those old darky songs to help ease old master's fear, singing, Still away home to Jesus, while planning to steal far away from there. And he secretly wrote his sorrow in a silent song that he'd never get to sing. And all the joy he never felt was somewhere deep inside of him. He wrote his sorrow in a silent song that he'd never get to play. And all the joy he never felt is somewhere deep inside us today. And what about his black woman? Toiling just as hard night and day. Didn't she know he also bore her grief and wished her wretched woes away? Sometimes he'd hear her moaning, a strange and meaningless melody, and realize that she too felt the same, that her spirit longed to be free. And he couldn't even hold her or show sweet love to ease her misery, the old master would surely sell her away, and without each other, what would this hell be? So he secretly wrote her sorrow in a silent song that she'd never get to sing, and all the joy she never felt was somewhere deep inside of him. Yes, he wrote her sorrow in a silent song that she'd never get to play. And all the joy she never felt is somewhere deep inside us today. So today we honor our ancestors for their silent songs, their love and trust. Our creativity is our humanity. And so our music does what it must. Lord, today we treasure our ancestors. Their gift of music still comforts and heals, just as our merciful and wonderful God gives us the gifts that his word reveals. And what do we call these silent songs that articulate our lives with such desires? Lord, child, we can call all our music marvelous. But God, let us call this jazz. Wow, that was awesome. Well, I want to thank you, Miss Sandra Steele Barnes, and I hope to see you on the 10th. I've spoken to our host, Miss Shelley Gaines, and Miss Mrs. Nicole Salter will be in the studio on the 10th, and we're going to make sure we make arrangements to have you there to recite your poetry on television on the Just oh, the Freedom wonderful. TV. Okay? And, Thank um, you. And we will be in touch talking to each other uh, soon before the 10th of September, and I look forward to seeing you, cousin. All right, baby cousin, I love you dearly. I love what you do. I thank you for the gist of freedom. Oh, thank you, thank you. we would not be free if it wasn't for the souls of those who love our culture. 
Thank yes. you, Rush. Thank you. Love you much. Bye-bye. Love you. Bye-bye.